welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things English football pyramid. On today's episode, we've got some stories from outside of England with Jose Mourinho leaving Roma and Jordan Henderson leaving the desert for Amsterdam. We'll take a look ahead to the weekend's Premier League action, including Liverpool's visit to Bournemouth without Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold. We'll then preview the EFL action, including an opportunity for the Championship size to gain some ground with Leicester playing Ipswich on Monday. And we'll finish with Laura, who preview the Oval's upcoming fixture against Hemel Hempstead. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Boys, get straight into it. I want to speak to you about Jordan Henderson. So, looks like he's completing a move to Ajax, um, and if reports are to be believed, taking no money away from his time in Saudi. Uh, Tom, just a bit of reflection on that kind of overall situation for Henderson, and just if you think it's a good idea that he's uh, decided to move out to Ajax. Well, obviously, these decisions are all very personal and it does seem like um this is more of a I guess a family decision his family were living in Bahrain just over the border he's not settled they've not settled and and it's a case of he thinks his Euro 2024 places under threat um and it's probably a case of just a guy just thinking how rich do I need to be and and it's quite refreshing as just your average Joe like me. It's quite refreshing to see that sometimes money doesn't buy happiness or, I mean, he's obviously already rich. So, but to give him a, another pile of money um, and it's not working out that well for him. The, the problem, well, not the problem. I I, I think the, the shame about this whole sort of scenario for Henderson is it is he was Liverpool captain, Liverpool legend, um, really good player for England. Okay, got a bit of stick, etc. But I feel like this six-month period has probably tainted his reputation among, or, or forever. And, I, and it'd be interesting to see when he retires, if he can come back and be a pundit or all of these kind of things. And it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But um, I do think the Ajax move is a good one. Ajax are struggling in Eredivisie. He's obviously back in um, Europe. Holland's not the the toughest league, but it's certainly a good standard and a, certainly a better one than Saudi. And if he can get, if he can play, play often and play well, like, like we speak about all the time, England's are struggling for centre mids really. So he'll probably get in the squad and, and he could even play. So an interesting move. And on top of that, it's, it makes it more interesting that you've got reports that the likes of Benzema and Firmino are already looking to come back as well. So it's interesting to see how the sort of Saudi league goes forward with players like that already wanting to leave. Yeah, absolute disaster from Jordan Henderson. I, I, obviously, in the summer, although he said it wasn't, it was just a purely financially based move. And the problem with that is Jordan Henderson is someone that sort of forged a reputation for himself as being like a decent guy. Um, and he's gone against a lot of this kind of thoughts he'd had on the way of life over in Saudi or over in the uh, Middle East or Far East back when the World Cup was being held there and then kind of sold out to go himself. The football was never going to be a good level. It was never going to be as fulfilling playing um, in front of, you know, four fans every week rather than 60,000, 70,000. And obviously the money just hasn't made up for that gap in his life. And like Teagal said, he's now diluted a reputation that was very good before. I think Liverpool fans will still always love him, but... The rest of England probably see him as a little bit of a, um, you know, a weak-minded man now, where he could have been a, a leader and set an example, not going 
if everyone knew he was going to be offered a lot of money to go there and he turned it down. So a bit of a disaster. Um, what the, the best thing about it is the fact that at least if Southgate's going to pick him for England in the summer, as it looks like he's set on doing, he will be playing uh, in the Ho- Holland League, which isn't one of the best ones in Europe. Um, but it is a lot better than playing in Saudi Arabia and maybe he'll still get some competitive enough games to prepare him for the summer. So um, I, I do feel a little bit for Jordan Henderson, but at the same time, I think he's got a lot of problems of his own making there. And he, I think if he had his time again, he'd do a lot of things very, very differently in the last six months. Um, I'm just looking at the Eredivisie table, just as a complete random one. PSV atop, played 17, won 17. Yeah. So that's a farmer's league. If ever you've seen one, they they've got fifty one points and Fianord are next on thirty-nine. Ajax are down in fifth on twenty-eight. I think they were bottom at one stage, so they've obviously had a little bit of a comeback. So good addition for them. Random move. Don't really care about it. Glad he's gonna be playing competitive football and an absolute disaster class from him and whoever's advising him and his family for the last six months. Yeah, he's had he's had a shambles, really. The the biggest thing I think is no problem with going over there. And like and doing what's best for your family, but when he did that interview with the Athletic, and he made and he basically outlined the fact that he wanted to grow the game and it was an exciting opportunity and a new exciting league and all of that, and he and he was like, I've never made a decision based on money, and it's like, so if you're going to treat everyone like we're stupid, then we're gonna we're gonna respond in kind, and yeah. if he just come out and said, and I'm sure there must be something in his contract. Um, at, in the Saudi league to say you can't just say you're coming for the money but if he just said something along those lines then we would have all gone look like it's a family decision he's securing the wealth of his kids kids his kids do you know what I mean everyone would take that in in good faith when he comes out and says he wants to grow the game in Saudi it's like fuck off Jordan do you know what I mean do you, do you not think that sort of is transferred across other sports though? Like Live Golf, hasn't it? Everyone who's signed up there, they're like, oh, they've sold their soul. Like Saudi got X, Y, and Z human right issues. You're basically going for the money. I think a lot of boxing there's now, isn't it? Most of the big fights are now over in Saudi. More future plans for big boxing events to be happening there. So it's kind of across all sports. Like if Jordan Henderson, and you, you, you say, oh, if he was just came out and was honest, we'd all have been like, fair enough. Do you really think that would be the case if he came out and said, "Look, I'm going for the money"? Everyone would be like, oh, "Okay, fair enough." Yeah. No, not not everyone, and that's because um, of his previous stance and al- allyship with the LGBTQ community. Um, I kind of have a bit of sympathy with him in that re- in that regard. What does that community want him to do? Never just never put his head above the parapet and never support them. Just in the off chance that he he goes and works for in a country that obviously have horrific human rights um, to those, to that community. It's... I think they, I think they expect him to hold to his word. You can't yeah, but... stick your head about the paraffin and then just have no substance, say all the right things, but then I, do the I just, opposite. I agree. I, I just think in today's society, I know we're getting a little bit deep here, but I do think we lack a lot of tolerance and just because he's gone over to Saudi Arabia doesn't mean he's he's against that community. It just means that he wants to earn a bit of money for a couple of years and then come back. It's still like he's still obviously a good bloke. I think what I think what the difference is is if it was just a regular player who wasn't like an ambassador for that community went over there, no one would be like, oh, he is suddenly against the LGBT community. It's the fact that he's come out and openly been a big sort of 
uh, advocate of the community, you know, wearing the, the sort of rainbow armband, being yeah. like an ambassador for them to then go and do it. Well, can I just sell out now? Yeah, I kind of, I, I, look, listen, I do get their point of view as well. Um, the issue I'm kind of finding with it is we've all, everyone's slagging off Jordan Henderson for doing this. Then it surely it will put off loads of footballers who potentially wanted to support that community. And, and now they'll be like, well, obviously, if I do something wrong um, in the eyes of that community in a couple of years' time, then I'll get absolutely slated for it and it will ruin my brand even further. So all of these footballers who potentially could support um, these causes, um, now, they're, they're, now they're just no, going to no. keep their mouth shut. You, yeah, well, the, you either support it or you don't. Um, so you can't not support something just in case if an opportunity comes up for you, you want to revert in the future. No, but if that's, that's the case, but, then you shouldn't be supporting it in the first place. But my you know point I mean? is, my point is, um, just because you're going over to Saudi Arabia doesn't mean you don't support it still. Yeah, but that's not that's not what people are saying. You, you it's, there's more to it than just supporting it. You have to have substance and make some sort of stand against it. Otherwise, what's the point in saying it in the first place? In the meantime, I'll take all the money that's being created over there and I'll profit from it myself. But but I don't feel good about it. Yeah, it's hypocr- I, mean? it, I, I agree it's hypocritical. I just think we should to- we should be a bit more tolerant to his decision because it is obviously it was obviously to do with the money and securing his family's wealth for decades to come. Uh, but listen, he's changed his mind. Family comes first, they're unhappy. And to be fair to him. I think he's he's deferred four million in wages, so he's actually paying money out of his own pocket to go to Ajax. Um, yeah. I don't think there's a massive problem with Jordan Henderson. He's going to get a bit of stick, and then it will die down a little bit, and he might have diluted a little bit of a legacy that he created in, for himself in terms of reputation. It's not a massive deal. Like Murph asked a minute ago, do you think everyone would genuinely be okay if he said, look, I'm going over there for the money? Well, I, I think Jordan Henderson's slightly different because, like you said, he's a bit of a leadership figure. Um, but, like, in the boxing, Eddie Hearn says, we'll go to Saudi because we'll get paid four times more than we will at Wembley. And everyone accepts it. And they're like, yeah, fair enough. If you're going in there to fight for your life, you should get paid as much money as possible. And it, to a lesser degree, it's the same for all sportsmen. If you can go over there and get a load of money, particularly if you're someone like Jordan Henderson's age, and it's a bit of a retirement thing, but A, don't expect to be playing for your country. And B, don't expect to be um, thought of as the face or a supporting character within some of these massive issues that you know, maybe the West are against. Um, anyway, like we said, we're getting a bit deep. One thing I was just going to say, bit of a wider issue. We started at the, uh, we said at the start of the season, do we think the Saudis are going to make a play um, to join like a European league and getting involved in that sort of thing? Well, they we said they're going to need to consistently attract better and better players. And if we're already seeing the likes of Jordan Henderson and maybe Firmino, maybe even Benzema coming back, and these are the guys that are in the twilights of their careers, that's not a good sign and, but, and that doesn't bode well for maybe younger players going over in their prime and helping that league expand and grow. So, um, which for me is a good thing, to be honest with you, but maybe not so much for Saudi Arabia. The, the other point as well, just to flip that scenario, is doesn't bode well for Saudi. I think it really doesn't bode well for clubs like Premier League clubs who thought that they could start offloading expensive assets and people on high wages out to Saudi. United, I've seen, have been linked with like the likes of Varane and Casemiro leaving because their wages are over... 200 grand a week 300 grand a week and with it it just reports now when a player's like that is oh they'll go out to Saudi these players are probably going to be speaking to the likes of Benzema who they've played out with Real Madrid the likes of Firmino who are 
Premier League legends and saying, you know, what's it like out of there? And them like, nah, it's no good. Not not even worth the money that they're offering. And then all of a sudden, these players are like, all right, well, I'm not going out to Saudi and I'm not really wanting to leave my three years left on my deal at 250 grand a week because I'm not going to get that anywhere else. So I think it's going to be really, really bad for clubs as well. Yeah, but well, particularly these top guys, like how much, I know like as a normal person, it's easy to sort of say this and not understand it, but they can have anything they want anyway. They've got enough money. So going out there and getting even more money might be a good scorecard, but it's not like their lives are going to be any better because they could do anything they wanted anyway. So they're going out there, they're playing in the worst league, they're feeling less fulfilled, they're playing in front of less people and their lives are probably way worse because they're not used to the environment and the culture out there or whatever and they're detached from their lives back in Europe. That's an import, That's a really good point, actually, about the other sports. Boxing, you go over there for a training camp, do the event and then come back, don't you? Like Fury, AJ, Usyk, they're still going to be in the UK. They're still going to be in America. The Live Golf Tour is sponsored and backed by Saudi. There'll probably be events in Saudi Arabia, some in America, some in uh, Dubai, other places like that. You're not tied to living there and that being your culture and lifestyle anymore, are you? Football, if you sign to play in Saudi or the Saudi League, then you you kind of have to take your whole life over there, don't you? So that's a really good point. Yeah, and it sounds like it's been a bit of a double-sided coin from the Saudis trying to attract the sort of European players over. You're not just going over there to play in their league. You're also kind of going over there to be a bit of an ambassador for Saudi Arabia football, aren't you? And trying to be a bit of a trailblazer for other people to cover. There's a lot of kind of pressure and a lot of weight on these players that are going over there. And maybe, and obviously they're getting paid very well for it. But like you said, maybe they're just thinking that. Not even for the money, this ain't worth it. Yeah. Boys, we'll move on. So move on from Jordan Henderson, move on to Jose Mourinho. So um, after two and a half years at Roma, uh, he's now left his job as manager there. Took them to the Europa Conference League. I think he's the first manager to now win the Champs League, Conference League and Europa League. He took them to the Europa League final, albeit lost on penalties. Um, I've seen that apparently he got Roma fans sort of fell back in love with the side. The Stadio Olimpico has not been full for a couple of decades. They're now kind of getting consistently 50,000 fans, but not enough for the hierarchy of Roma who've parted ways for him. Um, what next for Jose then, Lauro? And more importantly, where next for Jose? Well, you just said there he's won Champions League, Europa League and the Europa Conference League. But the key thing for me, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to Jose, is the Champions League were quite a long time ago. Then it was the Europa League and now it's the Europa Conference League. And I just feel like in the last sort of five to six years, particularly, he's been a little bit overtaken with his philosophies in terms of club football. And he may well be ready to enter that kind of international arena and I think he still presents like a really good figurehead character for a football team but maybe not with the sort of nuances and intricacies of football that's becoming more and more complicated and more and more sort of on the grass coach based over the last few years so I'd absolutely love to see Jose Mourinho make a charge at the Euros or make a charge at the World Cup whether that's with Portugal or whether that's with um, a country foreign to him and look let's whisper it quietly I think a lot of us expect Southgate to leave one way or the other after the European Championships in the summer could he be the next England manager and I'll stick my neck on the line here and say and I'd absolutely love to see him represent the three lines. Tomo what about you for England obviously Southgate's been kind of spoken about as potentially being a bit boring, a bit pragmatic, um, not letting these kind of creative juices flow in all those players that we've got. But sometimes that pragmatic style does work at international football. And he's obviously 
a winner, do you think that Mourinho would be a good fit for England or do you think there'd just be similar accusations that he's not giving the team the freedom that the players deserve? No, I think he'd be a perfect fit for England and a perfect fit for international football. I think over the last 15, 20 years, we've seen examples after example of teams being successful at international tournaments and they're being pragmatic and they're being counter-attacking and they're picking their moments and they're being solid. And quite often, those are the successful um, countries. And, and Mourinho fits the bill, really. And he creates this us-against-the-world environment. And I wonder if, with the international players, you're not battling with... You're not potentially battling with like egos about money and how many uh, and transfers and all of that stuff, um, and and the motivations quite I guess a little bit different because everyone who's coming to England and especially at a tournament that like their motivation is massively high anyway and usually quite supportive even if you're on the bench you're supportive of the players um, on the field so it would be really interesting and and look. If we, I know it's it's fine margins, and we love that phrase on this on this um, podcast. But if if they go and win the penalty shootout last year, his time at Rome has been an unbridled success, and and like they he's brought like the glory days back to Roma. But they lose the penalty shootout. He doesn't cover himself in glory after the the shootout where he I think he he kicked off at Anthony Taylor, didn't he? Who then proceeded to nearly get attacked at the airport from Roma fans. Um, and then this season, they've, they've been crap. But like third season, Mourinho is is sort of, it's a tale that we all know and it, all, and it, and it happens at every single club. The thing I'm, I'm a little bit, not worried about as such, but I kind of, if he doesn't go to international, I, I do think, and he has admitted this in an interview, that he will manage in Saudi Arabia one day. And he seems like the perfect time for him if he was to continue his club career to go over to Saudi because he would be one of the highest paid coaches in the world still. And to be honest, no one really gives a shit about the Saudi league anyway. So even if he fails there, he could probably go into the England job or potentially another international job. I think Jose would absolutely hate it out there. I think he buzzes off of the kind of big crowds, big atmosphere, big games, that kind of like us against everyone. If he goes and manages the side, I know Gerard's just signed a contract extension there, but he goes and signs for the side who uh, Henderson's just left in front of 800 fans. I think, I think he'd hate it. And I think that would go horribly for him. One other thing, obviously you spoke about international football. There's been links with kind of returns to the Premier League as well. Uh, at Newcastle, we spoke on a couple pods ago about, you know, Eddie Howe maybe treading a bit of a, a fine line there. And Mourinho is a name that's been mentioned uh, before for it. Do you think he could go and do a job at a top Prem side? Or do you think that kind of way that his win percentage has dropped to each club he's been at since Chelsea, um, the way that his kind of career's maybe not been seen as such a success over the last five, six years would mean that he'd be a bit out of his depth for that job? Well, he wouldn't be out of his depth. That's a that's probably a poor turn of phrase because it's Jose Mourinho. But But I do get what you're saying. Um, but it wouldn't surprise anyone if the Saudis appointed Jose Mourinho. It would be the, it would be the big name sort of appointment that they would, um, that I guess they crave. Um, I don't. I I just think his level has dropped below where Newcastle want to go, and they they're better off getting the next Jose Mourinho as opposed to 
Mourinho himself. Yeah, I agree. I think there's two types of top manager. There's like a progressive manager that's going to take you on to sort of new levels. And then you've got the sort of safe pair of hands, which I know is underselling Jose a little bit. But I think he'd come in and do a, a fine job somewhere. But I'm not sure he's going to take Newcastle to the next level and, and win a Premier League with them. And I don't want to just see him fizzle out as a club manager because he is a legend of the game. and He's brilliant to listen to. He needs to go into that international arena. And another thing, just one more on Jose to England and that aspect is that one accusation leveled against England for a lot of the last, certainly in my lifetime, the last sort of 20, 25 years is we've had many talented teams, but we've lacked like that ruthless winners edge to us. And Jose Mourinho is a winner. And yeah. that's the sort of thing that he does implement in his players. Whatever we're talking about tactically or however he um, interacts with the media, etc., he doesn't accept anything other than a team of winners. And if he can add that into the three lines then that could be a recipe for success. And I know we're very close. And I know Gareth Southgate's hit the post um, with the penalty shootout in the last Euros and we were unlucky against France. And we were all hoping we we're going to win the Euros this summer. But Jose Mourinho will add that to whatever international setup he goes into. And I think it will really suit him. So, Jose, don't go to Saudi Arabia. You can do that after if you want. You can do that in another 10 years. They'll still pay you loads of money. Um, let's not do the Premier League thing again. You've already had, what, three clubs now. You've had loads across Europe. Your win percentage is dropping. Let's try something new and reinvigorate the special one 2.0. And let's see you have some success again and lift some silverware. My my only concern would go back to um, that kind of cultural bit. He sort of fell out with Deli Ali, fell out with Paul Pogba. There were comments about like Luke Shaw and stuff like that. He's obviously part of the England squad. I just wonder if there'd be a couple of like players that you'd see as like enigmas that he'd suddenly fall out with. Like suddenly he's had a massive tear up with Jude Bellingham at a camp, and you're thinking, oh no. Yeah, you know, well, I just think he disrupts the apple cart there. Yeah, you are right, but I think if you look at the Paul Pogba example, he's proven right. Deli Ali, okay, he's had his issues off the field. It's well publicised, um, but in terms of just purely performance levels, he was he proved right there. And Luke Shaw probably the same as well. So, yeah, yeah, he yeah. called the he called the Deli Ali one early as well, did he? Do you remember the documentary? He calls Deli Ali and he goes, "Look, you're a good player, but you can do so much more." And I'm not seeing it from you. And then look what's happened in the last three years. I know he's had his personal struggles and stuff like that. I'm not taken away from that, but uh, you know, if Jose Mourinho, I think he's got a good eye for singling out a player like that. It isn't going to be a Jude Bellingham. We know he's, you know, he'll love Jude everything. Bellingham. He'll absolutely yeah, love yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. And he's not looking to shoot himself in the foot, is he? He's trying to get rid of bad eggs. And it's easier to do that in international football because you just yeah. send them home and they're not and, with the camp. And if you listen to his former players, they basically say he's an absolute nightmare if you lose, but if you win, he's happy. And England win 80% of their games. It's just that yeah. quarter final or semi final or final that we lose. So he'll be happy 99% of the time. Yeah, I just don't I don't think that you're going to get this. The the very reason that we don't want Southgate in charge and we know that Southgate's got all the culture, all of the kind of man management, the the great atmosphere nailed down. The I think his biggest criticism is that he's risk adverse and doesn't play free flow in attacking football. I think you'd get that exactly the same with Jose with the potential of him disrupting that culture. That that would be my concern with it. Boys, we'll move on to another manager um, under a bit of pressure, Roy Hodgson. So uh, Everton won Palace nil in the Cup uh, midweek FA Cup game. And 
some Palace fans calling up on TalkSport when I was listening last night, basically saying they think his time is now up. Um, his substitutions are rubbish. I think there was one in particular last night that didn't go down well, which was Eze coming off at 1-0 down in the FA Cup. Bit of sympathy from myself for Roy, though, Tomo, in that Eze's obviously a player important to them to for survival in the Premier League. We've spoken a bit about um, them potentially being dragged down into that relegation battle. If he stays on for another 15 minutes, does his hamstring and goes off for six, seven weeks and they go on to lose that game 1-0. Everyone's going to Roy, why on earth are you risking Eze in a midweek FA Cup game when we're in a relegation battle? Yeah, you're right. But sometimes the discontent from the fans, that's almost like the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, because it's been growing for a long time now. And sometimes these kinds of discontentment can grow just because of who's, what managers are on um, are available. And if you look at the likes of Steve Cooper and Graham Potter, those two would be absolutely perfect for Crystal Palace because they're up and coming managers. Okay, um, Potter had a bit of a bad stint at Chelsea, but let's let's sort of cancel that one off because that's a basket case of a club. But Steve Cooper, in in the same regards, up and coming managers can build something there that the Crystal Palace have kind of been like. Crystal Palace fans must be like crying out for someone they can get behind and, and build something with. And they tried it with Patrick Vieira and it didn't really work in the second season. Um, and if you're right, it, it feels like Hodgson's time has come to an end. He does. He's getting a bit more prickly with the journalists and with the fans, especially sometimes that's a sign that, that things will inevitably change soon. Yeah. I think Crystal Palace are a club that are in a bit of a juxtaposition um, between being able to go on, and progress as a football club, or they could just as easily go the other way. You won't be surprised to hear they're 14th in the league. I think they've been there for the last 10 years. And we just mentioned about Jose Mourinho and the types of manager that Newcastle are going to be looking to get. You're right. Steve Cooper and Potter represent that progressive coach that could maybe take Crystal Palace onto a new level. And Roy Hodgson is someone that I, in my opinion, is treading water with Crystal Palace. And they're just trying to keep in the Premier League and keep the same every season and not upset the apple cart too much. But what happens when you tread water for too long is you run out of energy and you sink. And it just feels for Crystal Palace like it's getting closer and closer and closer to them being in real trouble, which I don't think they're in yet. But I do think now or soon is the time to act. Because if they bring in Steve Cooper or Graham Potter, if if those two are gettable, I definitely think Steve Cooper would be for them, then I can guarantee that Crystal Palace won't go down. But if you stay with Roy, and the longer you stay with him and let the crowd and the atmosphere and the negativity build up, the further they're going to be looking over their shoulders, I think. And the, the three that came up last season are in the bottom three at the moment. But I think it's looking more increasingly likely one of them might do something, particularly Luton are putting in some good performances and someone needs to drop in. And could that be Crystal Palace? Not if they bring in a decent manager, but it could be if they stay with Roy. Just on the their league form, obviously the FA Cup lost to, lost to Everton, drew nil-nil with them in a, another boring game uh, a couple of weeks previous. But they beat Brentford 3-1. Uh, the game before that, they lost two one at Chelsea, but I think they were they were good for at least a point there. And before that, they drew with Brighton and drew with Man City. Now I know that draws we speak about draws a lot as if they're kind of bookended by losses, and you know it's two points dropped. But their form's not that bad. Um, we're picking up a point against Man City at the Etihad and beating Brentford. Obviously, they've got a hard one away at Arsenal, but next up they got Sheffield United at home. So. I just think Roy could potentially be afforded a bit more time, five points away from the relegation zone. I just don't think now is the right time to strike for 
for Palace on that. Nah, it's not. It's not about whether Roy needs more time. But mo- I bet no. most Palace. I bet most Palace fans think that they'll still stay up if Roy stays. It's about like if you if you look at the way Ange Postecoglou has got Tottenham's culture changed and and the way they play. They are. He has afforded. Um. I guess bad results because of everyone believes in what they're doing and everyone's sort of lifted up and everything's going in the right direction. Whereas when the likes of David Moyes and Roy, David Moyes, not to this extent, because I think he's done a great job at West Ham, but when the likes of Roy Hodgson goes out and plays the pragmatic football and, and then maybe loses one nil or, and, and, and it's, Poor and they've got the same players and Joel Ward's still right back and and he's getting a new contract. It's all a bit like Groundhog Day for for Palace fans and it's it's hard to get behind and it's hard to get excited about. And as a football fan, this is what you live for. You want to be excited. You want to you want to. It's escapism at the end of the day. You don't want to you don't want to be stressed nine to five in from Monday to Friday and then Saturday comes around and it makes you. Um, grumpy again, it makes you bored. You want to feel alive. You want to feel like you're escaping the the, the shit that's going on in the world. Yeah, but so so I, I get that, and that Palace they maybe just think regardless, long term direction isn't with Roy. But if he goes and wins against Arsenal at the weekend, they don't play well, but they grind out a one 0 win. Is it like well, even regardless, if the right manager is available, we're still getting rid of you, Roy, because we now believe that Steve Cooper is the right man to take us forward as an example then. That's what you think? Yes. Yes, 100%. Because no one's questioning Roy Hodgson's ability. We know exactly what Roy Hodgson's about. He's a good manager. Like Tigo said, they probably wouldn't go down. Like if they stayed with him for too long and keep treading water for too long, they probably will, whether it's this season, next season or the season after. The, but like Tigo said, they want to be inspired Crystal Palace fans. They're bored of the same old 14th every season. Can we get someone that's going to come in and progress us? So even if Palace win the next three games under Roy Hodgson, he, what is he? Like 94 he ain't going to be there for years and years to come. So whatever he's building is going to be torn up by the new manager anyway. He's going to come in and bring in a, a, a new philosophy. So they might as well do it now. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the point that Crystal Palace fans are at. They Thank you, Roy Hodgson. Really good manager. Amazing career. Everyone trusts you. But we just want something a bit more inspiring now to go and enjoy our Saturdays with. Yeah, and he's, and he's done a good job. Like, he come in and they were really struggling under Vieira. Um and he come in and, and they, they played some exciting football towards the end of last season and obviously stayed up. But yeah, they it's basically, it's time. That's all it is. It's just the right time, I think. And especially because Steve Cooper and Graham Potter are available. Murph, if you were a Crystal Palace fan, would you rather stick with Roy Hodgson or bring Steve Cooper in now? Uh you're probably right. You're probably right that I'd bring Steve Cooper in. What I would say, if I was Steve Cooper, I'd go nowhere near the Palace job. It, it's... What? If Palace fans think that 14th in the Premier League is not good enough and they want to go further, no, I can that's make... not that's not yeah, that's exactly that's not what we're saying. No, that's, that's exactly not what we're saying. You guys have just said, Tomo, you guys have just said that new Crystal Palace fans are sat in 14th thinking, how can we get a better style of play and move up through the table? They're about to lose Eze, they're about to lose Elise, they've lost Zaha, Mark Gay will probably go to a better club. If Palace fans then think that from losing them that they're going to be able to strengthen and move up from 14th with a manager. If I was a manager, I'd go nowhere near that job. Absolutely nowhere near it. Okay. All right. But, you know, Steve Cooper might think that he can take that challenge on and move him way up forward through the league. But I think they're going to lose. 
the way that I see Palace's trajectory is, is they're going to cash in on their big assets and probably next season finish within that bottom three and, and go down. And, well, you, and that... If they they're, cash they're... in on those big assets, they're going to have money to spend as well, aren't they? And Steve yeah. Cooper might be a, a project there that he can go and put his own stamp on, not scattergun like it was at Forest where 40 players came in in the summer. He could buy his own players. And at the end of the day, Steve Cooper is a coach. Do you know what I mean? And he might think, no, I'm a good enough coach and football manager to get my way of playing through this team. Andrew's a good example. Regardless of who's playing, my way of playing into the team and Crystal Palace are going to become um, or create an identity that the fans can get on board with. So I know I keep saying that Crystal Palace are in 14, but that's just a byproduct of how I think it's become a bit boring for them. Whether they fluctuate up and down the table, but if Palace fans can enjoy it, yeah. and think, uh, oh, we've got a manager where we might do something because we can see what he's trying to do yeah. and enjoy it a bit more, then that's better than Roy Hodgson where we know exactly what we're getting from him every single week and yeah. he's, at some point he's going to retire. A good example of that would be, say, Bournemouth could finish 14th this year, but they played some great football, got the fans on their feet, they know exactly what their style is and they're all behind that manager and that project, but they could still finish 14th. So there's finishing 14th the Roy Hodgson way, which is a little yeah. bit boring and Palace fans are sick of it or finishing 14th, potentially the Bournemouth way, which is really exciting. And okay, they might lose games every now and again and and still maybe be on the same points, but it's a completely different feeling around the club. But still finish 14th. In yeah, the but same that's, exactly. Exactly. So what do you rather finish 14th that way or that way? Or yeah. maybe dare to dream a bit more as well. Do you know what I mean? Maybe a younger coach who hasn't, who's up and coming and more progressive who hasn't reached his ceiling yet, as Roy Hodgson is obviously over the hill in terms of his managerial career, maybe with a Steve Cooper, they can think, where could we finish? Yeah. I mean, let's aim high. And if we finish 14th, finish 14th. Not let's try and finish 14th. Yeah, and you forget that Brighton's biggest rivals are... Oh, sorry. Crystal Palace's biggest rivals are Brighton. And look what they're doing. Similar budgets, all of that stuff. And they must look over... I know it's it's, it's a... a funny little derby, the M23 derby or whatever it's called. They won't be looking over. Yeah, because it's quite it's 100 miles or something. But at the same token, they're seeing that and they're looking at Brentford. I know Brentford are struggling right now and they're saying, well, why can't we do that? Yeah, but Brent, like Forrest, like we talk about it's A, Steve Cooper, we talk about him, but didn't go great for him at Forest. They're still right down there. We're saying oh, well. Brentford. Thomas Frank's got an identity and they've got this money ball set up for signing their players. Can I just pick you up on They're that? Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Steve Cooper at, at Nottingham Forest was an was a complete and utter 100% success. I can't believe yeah. you even suggested it didn't go well for him. What? Yeah. He, he got he got sacked. Uh, no, no, Steve, Steve took... Cooper took the Steve Cooper took the Nottingham Forest job and then in the relegations under the championship and we're in the wilderness, the wilderness for years in the same season, takes them up, takes them up to the Premier League, then keeps them up in the Premier League. And by the way, he's just been sacked, but they're not in the relegation zone. And by the way, before that, he went in at Swansea and got them in the playoffs. And by the way, before that, he was England under 17 coach who won the was it the World Cup or the Euros with them. So yeah. Steve Cooper is a very progressive, successful manager. Oh, he's done really well wherever he's been. And by the way, and by the way, the chairman, and by the way, the chairman signed forty players without Steve Cooper's knowledge, and he managed to to build and coach a team out of that. Steve Cooper is an elite coach, and have a bad word said about him. No, but the the point there is, is that Steve Cooper. I know you get new manager bounces, and this might just be that. But the the whole point now with Forest is that they're scoring way more goals. Nuno's got them going. Obviously, even managed to get Chris Wood scoring in the Premier League. So. 
you know, I'm just saying, Steve Cooper wasn't exactly flying high with Forrest, was he? They they were in a worse position than what they are now. So no, him I... going into Palace doesn't mean they're a progressive football club all no, of a sudden. No, Nottingham no. Forest were in the Championship relegation zone when Steve Cooper went in. You can't you can't microcosm in it into the last ten games that he was there over a period of time. Steve Cooper is one of the most successful managers Forest have had outside of Brian Clough. Yeah, what I'm saying is is that Nuno has got them playing better. Nuno's been there four games. Yeah, Murph, Murph, yeah, listen. It might be a new manager bounce, but Steve Cooper doesn't necessarily mean. No, no, we can't compare. We cannot compare Steve Cooper's time at Forest to Nuno's. Nuno's been there four games. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying Forest are playing better now than how Steve Cooper left yeah, them. So Murph, him going Murph's... into Palace doesn't mean success for them, right? Yeah, but that's that, nothing's a guarantee in life. But what, no. obviously, you can just you can appoint the the best man for the job and give yourself the best chance to succeed. And like, we've just given you many examples of how good Steve Cooper is and okay. Yeah. It probably did sour a little bit over the last couple months, but, but he was probably sick to death of just turning up to training and two, yeah. two more players turning up without his knowledge. Yeah. They could he probably, the he probably was a little bit demotivated, demotivated. I, I think he'd be a great appointment for any Premier League club, um, but yeah. definitely Crystal Palace. Including Man United. Well, yeah, you say about um, Graham Potter, he's being linked with United and Newcastle and uh, you've put him down there with Crystal Palace as well. So it'd be interesting to see what he does. But boys, we'll, we'll move on to a couple of the FA Cup uh, results. So Newport obviously beat Eastleigh. They've got Man United in round four. So absolutely massive result for them. Uh, also, uh, United's first trip to Rodney Parade, I believe. So must be one of the few teams Man United haven't played in a... Uh, competitive fixture and then a big big win for Bristol City as well who upset uh West Ham and again some West Ham's uh phoning into the uh, radio shows and saying about David Moyes' style of play probably not the same as Roy Hodgson because of their um European success last year and their league position but uh another case maybe of the uh the fans wanting a bit of change there for a different style of football Look ahead to the Premier League fixtures for the weekend. So Bournemouth versus Liverpool, probably the standout fixture. Um, most would probably tip Liverpool to be red-hot favourites for that. But without Salah and Trent there, Laura, do you think that, A, that gives Bournemouth a better chance and, B, what do you think of their chances? Well, it definitely gives them a better chance. Um <laughs> Look, I've apologised to uh, Andrea Iriola before on this because I didn't see what has happened coming at the start of the season. And they're a club that are on the up, aren't they? And they're playing some good football and I think they're not far away from getting into the top half. So they've definitely got a much better chance without some of Liverpool's key players. But you still expect Liverpool's players that they've got to be able to take care of Bournemouth. And one thing we can say about Liverpool this season is they've taken care of business. It's not always been pretty sometimes it has been but a lot of the times they've had poor first halves they've gone one nil down but they've shown a lot of character to come back they show quality to score goals win games and they're top of the Premier League so I'm not going to go against Liverpool in many fixtures this season Bournemouth are a good side but Liverpool are a better one Tom I agree with that I think Liverpool get all three there yeah probably yeah like for all the reasons Laura said um the only thing to add I guess was this fixture last year, Bournemouth did win 1-0. <laughs> just something to add. And Solanke's in the form of his life. And like you just said, Trent and Salah, um, they're a big, big reason why Liverpool um, have won so many games this season. So probably a little bit tighter than most people expect, but you can't, you just can't rule out Liverpool this season. Even if they go 1-0 down, you think 
they've got it in them um, to come back. So yeah, I'm not going to go against Laura's prediction there. For some reason, I got a, a, in my head that Liverpool have struggled a few times at the Vitality. I think there was a, a game in where Nathan Aki scored when he was there. I think that was against Liverpool. Um, Is that, so, I'm just having a look at the head-to-heads there and Bournemouth have won only one since 2016. But in that 2016 game, they won 4-3. So I wonder if that was that was the Ake game. It might have been that one, yeah. And it, 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 I think it was Liverpool. But um, yeah, I mean, if it's only one in two for, since 2016, then, you know, Liverpool be be favourites there. But um, yeah, I, I just think with Salah and Trent out and say Solanke in the form that he is, maybe a, a potential game that the likes of City and Arsenal are looking at for a slip up for, for Liverpool. On Arsenal, we've obviously just spoke about Roy Hodgson there and uh, discontent at Palace. Arsenal obviously not been in the best to form themselves. Tomo, um, Arteta and Hodgson probably both need the uh, the win there. But with Arsenal at home, uh, they'll be banking on on three points there. Absolutely, yeah. I always say I always think it's dif- difficult to predict twelve thirty on a Saturday game. So I don't know why. It just just feels like it may be just too early for the players and maybe. It, it's not going to be a great game, but I do predict that Arsenal will win. Um, just on Arsenal, obviously, Ivan Tony's back this weekend and we spoke a lot about them needing a striker. The one, if, if Karim Benzema does want to leave Saudi Arabia, I think him on loan at Arsenal makes complete sense because he would just come in, doesn't have to play all the games. He's clearly not the Karim Benzema of a couple of years ago when he won the Ballon d'Or, but he would add so much experience to that lineup, and he's an elite finisher, an absolute elite finisher. So he'd be perfect for them if he was available. Well, I think part of that is that he might be trying to make himself available by re- refusing to return back to training and things like that. But if you sign Benzema on loan, I, what what's his wages? Do we reckon with some of the figures that are muted being out there? Let's say five hundred grand a week. The, the club that he's at who don't want him to go and he's basically taking a stand and saying, I'm not training. If they did agree to let him go, might be like, we got to cover his wages. And then can a team, can Arsenal then build that into their structure and their financial fair play and their accounting to get a half a million pound a week striker in for six months? So be interesting to see if, if anyone can afford that Benzema move uh, if he is available. Just spoke on Ivan Tony there. So Brentford versus Forest. Uh, Lauro, obviously return of Ivan Tony. I thought his interview was a little bit weird. Uh, he did this week where he's basically said that, you know, he wants to go on and compete for major trophies. If a club can afford him in January, great. If not, he's going to be looking in the summer. Um, thought that was a bit weird. But do you think with where they are in the table, they're kind of be banking on Tony getting some goals to to keep them up this year? Yeah, definitely. They're, they're where they are in the table because they've had their best player taken away from them, aren't they? Um He's the one that scored. What did he score? Twenty Premier League goals last season. You take that out of any team and don't replace it, um, or replace it with someone like Keen Lewis Potter or whoever the the lad is up front, or Neil Mope, uh, Neil Mope or whatever. It's a it's a complete drop off, isn't it? So yeah, absolutely. That's a big game, isn't it? Um, Brentford versus Forest. Both of them are at the wrong end of the table, and both of them are looking over their shoulders. So on one hand, it's great to see. Ivan Tony back for Brentford and I'm sure all the fans will be happy that he's probably going to stay till the end of the season if that's what is being touted but very quickly they need to get down to business he needs to start scoring goals and they need to start winning games because um, they are in a, a little bit of a precarious position Brentford albeit for some reason I just trust the fact that they'll get out of it and obviously their best player coming back should help that so um, 
big game for both clubs, but Brentford at home, you feel it's a bit of a bigger one for them. And hopefully, for their sake, Ivan Tony can be straight back into the goals. Yeah, and disclaimer, he's in, he's my captain in FPL this week because I'm 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 all over the narrative and the script where he's just going to bag a hat trick. Um, just wait for him to get sent off now. But another thing to add to that fixture is Forrest got taken to extra time last night against Blackpool and it was a really good game. Um, and obviously Brentford, today they played Wolves the night before. Um, so they'll have an extra day's rest. And even Tony, he's a massive boost. The only thing I will say about that interview, I think that's, it's it's a shame really, because Brentford have stuck by him this whole time and backed him basically through um, this whole betting scandal, I guess. And for him to then, before he's even kicked a ball this season, come out and say that, even though we all we all kind of know it anyway, it's almost it, it's, it doesn't really need to be said. And I think it was a bit of a shame um, before he's kicked the ball. If he goes and scores a hat trick, then they won't care, will they? Yeah, I mean they've they've stood by him, right? But he's their best player and most valuable asset. If it was one of the youth team players, they might have sort of banished him and not been support have supported of him and maybe gone on to release him or whatever. This is a guy who's going to potentially be somewhere in the region if the figures are to be believed, eighty to one hundred million pound asset for them. And maybe Ivan Tony thinks that he's getting priced out of a move for some big clubs by that. And sometimes players do do interviews like that, don't they? Just to kind of force the uh, club's hand a bit. But I agree. I don't, I'm not sure he's got the best character uh, in the world if he's doing things like that after Brentford have stood by him. Just quickly on him as well. He's he's going to turn 28 in March. I can't. Yeah. I I know he's he's not a striker that relies on your pace anyway. But I I just. I can't believe any club would pay a hundred million for a tw- for a twenty eight year old. I just and he is really good, and he doesn't rely on his pace. And obviously, footballers are going um, playing at their peak a lot longer these days. But I just it just makes no sense to spend a hundred million on a twenty eight year old. No resale no, value. They might get eighty. And if you've got a Premier League player that can score 20 goals a season, as he did last season, and he'll, he'll, he's definitely got at least four seasons left at the top level, or you'd imagine when you're 32, you're still in, you know, somewhere near your prime or somewhere near your, the peak of your powers. So £20 million a season for four years for a guy that's going to get you 20 Premier League goals is probably about the going rate nowadays. And if I'm Brentford, I'm probably cashing in on him because otherwise he's own. I don't know how long his contract is, but otherwise I'll probably end up losing him anyway. And the other thing about him being nearly 28 is you wouldn't begrudge him a move. I mean, this is a guy that's worked his way up through the football league um, at your Shrewsbury's and your Scunthorpe's and your Wigan's and your Peterborough's, your Brentford's into the championship, getting promoted to the premiership. He deserves a big move, I think. And you're right, it is a shame to see that kind of side of his demeanour come out in maybe a little bit disrespectfully in the interviews. But he is a player that's got a little bit of an edge and maybe that's what makes him a bit of more of a special player than some others. So, look, Ivan Tony's going to move at some point or another anyway, so it doesn't really matter what he comes out and says. And I think Brentford will be quite happy to cash in on him. Um, but I think probably near the 80 mark rather than 100 million. I think for a striker, prime scene 28 to 32. See, the other way of looking at it, as you said, Laura, is 20 goer season in the Prem, just coming into his peak. Um, English player as well, which always bodes well for Prem signings. Done it in the Prem when sometimes other people come from other leagues and the, the Prem proves a step too far for him. So, um, and also clubs now, it's what it's worth to them. In January, Ivan Tony's worth 100 million 
£100,000 to Brentford because it could put them into a massive relegation scrap. Uh, whereas if they wait to the summer and maybe got 70, 80 and he's banged the goals in to keep them up, then, you know, that, that was worth it yeah. for them. The other thing on the age one is that I think in this country, we're too quick to write off players because they're near 30 or in their 30s. And Tommy touched on it then. He said that, I know Tony doesn't rely on his pace. Well, a player that does rely on his pace is Jamie Vardy, right? And he scored 100 Premier League goals after the age of 30. So let's not write players off just because they're in their 30s. Look at Karen Benzema. Look at Olivier Giroud. Into their mid to late 30s, still performing at the very highest level, winning Ballon d'Ors. So if a player's good enough and he's hungry enough and keeps himself in good enough condition, they can go right on into their 30s. And then all of a sudden, 27, 28 looks quite young. Indeed. I'm looking forward to that game, though. Brentford versus Forest, uh, who've obviously escaped the shackles of Steve Cooper and now have Nuno Ball. So uh, a couple of other fixtures, boys. So Sheffield United versus uh, West Ham. Obviously, Sheffield United in a in deep bother um, in the relegation zone. West Ham in better position in the European places, but did lose to Bristol City uh, midweeks. So they'll be looking for a, uh, a turnaround from that. And then Monday night football is Brighton versus Wolves, which we can obviously preview on Monday's pod. Move on to the championship, boys. Again, another Monday night football, Leicester versus Ipswich, uh, which is obviously first versus second, but an opportunity for some of the other sides playing earlier in the weekend to gain a little bit of ground. And, Laura, come to you first. Sunday, Leeds versus Preston. And I think you owe Preston one, don't you, from the return fixture a couple of months ago? Yeah, well, it was only a couple of weeks ago. These return fixtures this week, I think, were played on either Boxing Day or one of the games in between Christmas and New Year. So quite recently, and they yeah they beat us. Um, and one of the reasons we're 14 points off top instead of something like seven or eight. But I expect us to win because Leeds have, haven't lost at home this season. They've been very, very good, um, unflappable and have been fantastic. So no complaints there. I expect us to win that game. But you're right. It's nice that the chasing pack can put a little bit more pressure on both Leicester and Ipswich, um, who are, neither of them are going to want to drop points, albeit Leicester have got a bit more of a buffer. But they ain't going to want the narrative building that they're suddenly starting to fall off because they lost to Coventry last week as well. So, um, yeah, the fixtures are laid out quite nicely this week and I expect Leeds to win. Um, and I, know, I expect we'll come on to Southampton, but they've got a tricky fixture away at Swansea. Yeah, I'll come to Tomo for that one in a second. Just um, obviously all quiet on the transfer front in the Premier League, really. Anything happening with Leeds? Any kind of areas to strengthen, you think, or any business to be done or happy with the squad? Yeah. Archie Gray Archie Gray's just signed a new deal um, until 2028, I think it is. So he's 17. So that ridiculously only takes him to when he's 21. Um, so he's obviously got his whole life ahead of him. But these days when people sign contracts, you just think to yourself, you're just making sure you get a lot of money if someone does come in for him, aren't you? But... Um, that's nice to hear. Luke Aylin's gone out to uh, Middlesbrough on loan, which I thought thinks worth a mention probably because been such a stalwart and an amazing player for Leeds over the last eight years. Obviously, sort of, um, you know, it encapsulates everything that Bielsa period and that Bielsa ball pe uh, period at Leeds was all about and our promotion to the Premier League and the way that we played and all the rest of it. Um, so we wish him well. But in terms of incomings, I've not heard of anything. And I don't think we really need anything either. No, as say we've spoken about, we championship just really, really strong this year, and any other season probably lead squad flying and in the automatic. So just well, got we, we've got Joel, Joel Piro starting on the bench at the minute. You can't get a game. So when you when you've got boasting the likes of that, and we're fourth, it just shows you how strong it is. Yeah, and one of the teams above them, Tomo Southampton, they go to Swansea, a game that we've earmarked for potentially Pyramid Pod Cup changing hands, but after. Uh, 
speaking with our mate Alfie and obviously learning a little bit more about Russell Martin, I, I almost want him to carry on winning Southampton, but uh, probably a tricky tie back at his old club there. Yes, and and the new manager um, at Swansea basically ne nearly went to Birmingham and snatched all three points there. All, it took a 95th minute equaliser, I believe. Um, otherwise, that would have been the perfect start for him. They're obviously at home. They've got a lot of history, um, Russell Martin and Swansea. Um, and I think if, the, if, if Southampton don't lose this game, it equals their all-time record of league. It'll be it'll take their unbeaten run to 20 games. I think that's what Alfie said in the previous podcast. So that's a tough one to call, to be honest, mate. Um, I'm just going to go for a draw because I just can't see Russell Martin ever losing a game again. I do think Swansea are going to win that. I think this is the the day the House of Cards tumbles down on that uh, undefeated run for Swansea uh, for Southampton. Sorry, I think there's just it's too much of a script that you can see happening, and one of those things or stories that football produces all too often. And I just think Luke Williams, good manager, first home game in the league, I'd imagine. Um, you know, you normally get some kind of bounce. Russell Martin, old club, all those things. I think that will culminate in a Swansea win. Um, but let's see. I know new manager, new bounce, but um, the reverse fixture, Laura, you are right, it's a reverse fixture from Boxing Day. Uh, Southampton beat Swansea 5-0 at home. Um, that's not to say that obviously it will go that way again. New manager, new ideas, um, and obviously uh, at Swansea rather than at Southampton. But yeah, be some turnaround from that 5-0 if Swansea can go pick up all three. A couple of other games just to mention. So Friday night football, Sunderland versus Hull. That's seventh versus ninth. But um, I think Mickey Bill, we've spoken about already, is uh, under a bit of pressure. Um, I think he's had five games, one, two, drawn one, lost two. But Sunderland fans not particularly happy with how it's going uh, there for them. And so potentially a game that they need to win on Friday night, Sunderland. Just quickly, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go on. So that really was a bit of a poison chalice where the fans really did not rate that appointment at all. Do you, Can you boys remember an appointment that has gone well where the fans have immediately sort of slagged off the appointment and then the manager's come in and changed everyone's minds and, and been successful? I doubt the Bournemouth fans were particularly buzzing about the guy who came in there. And we, we spoke about that that was going to be a disaster because was that replacing Gary O'Neill, who'd done a good job? And so Bournemouth fans were like, well, hang on, no, I'm not sure about that. And Forest fans, uh, they didn't want Steve Cooper to go and Nuno's flying. Yeah, but that's not, so then, you can't call that a success. I think that, that's, more, that's, more, um, that's more fans angry at the sacking rather than the appointment, isn't it? And those two coaches. Maybe Eddie Howe a little bit. Probably Newcastle fans didn't weren't overly inspired by that. Do you know what I mean? They've been taken over by the Saudis and but, their appointment is the, the form of sacked manager. Yeah, I'm I'm just more more talking about because okay, they probably were a little bit underwhelmed, but it wasn't as vitriolic or negative that it has been for McBeal. Um I from the get go. Obviously Laura will have more insight from Leeds, but I wonder what the fans initial thoughts were on all three relegated sides managers coming in like would Leicester fans have been happy with Maresco would Southampton fans have been happy with Russell Martin were Leeds fans buzzing with uh Fark coming in I wonder if one of one of those clubs would be a shout that maybe weren't happy with that appointment and they're all doing really well not definitely not to the level of Mick Bill I know what you're talking about Tigo and I can't think of one off the top of my head but I will uh, endeavour to think of one for the rest of this show 
But yeah, it looks like not, if not must win, certainly a result that would um, get the fans off his back a little bit. Friday night football against Hull. Uh, and then just the other teams up there, West Brom go to Norwich, who have hit a bit of form, and Coventry go to Sheffield Wednesday. Move on to League One, boys. Uh, Fleetwood versus Portsmouth. Portsmouth in absolutely no form at the minute, um, but that is bottom versus top uh, in the table. And if there's one game that, that probably Portsmouth would have wanted, it would have been the Fleetwood fixture. So they've got that to hopefully turn their form around uh, this weekend. Leighton Orient versus Bolton. Um, Leighton Orient haven't lost in five. They're absolutely flying, but their last loss was against Bolton, actually, 3-2. Um, so, yeah, a big fixture there. Bolton, obviously, they, they keep having opportunities to go to the top. Obviously, had their game abandoned. Um, I think they've had a game postponed as well. So they just need to keep chipping away at what they're doing. Lincoln versus Derby. So that's bottom versus top in four, one point. Uh, for Lincoln in their last five. Derby got 12 points. Derby won Monday night footballance actually against Burton. Um, do you see last minute goal from Conor Hurahan? Um, I think, what was it, like 93rd minute and a big result for Paul Warren's boys, Laura? Yeah, I, I'm looking at Derby winning the league, I think now. Do you know what I mean? They've rid I mean, they're third in the league and half the season's been quite mediocre from their standards. I know the last sort of five to 10 games have been very good. Um but they're, they're equipped now to go on and win the league, I think. They've got the manager that's done it twice before with Wotherham. They're a massive side for League One. They're in great form. Um, they're starting to win games and they're a point off top with a game in hand. I know Peterborough in that mix and so are Bolton as well. But uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's the most out there shout in the world, but they're my pick to, to go and win that league now. And I'm delighted because uh, we all know who's at the helm at the Rams. Laura, I don't want to, I don't want to give this to you as a hospital pass. Um, so just say if you don't know, but what what's Derby's financial situation at the minute? Do they... Because it was terrible, wasn't it? And hence why they've got relegated under Rooney and et cetera. But, and, and I think yeah. it was Mel Morris, wasn't it? But what's, what's their sort of ownership situation now? Well, I don't know, but they're able to bring in players and they're obviously, they've been able to uh, form a very good League One team. They've got, like Merce said, they've got the likes of Conor Hurahane, they've got the likes of James Collins. These are very good sort of championship slash League One fringe players, if not higher. Um, and obviously that financial burden that happened under Mel Morris is gone and they were sanctioned. They had, they've had all of the um, points deductions and the relegation that went along with that and it feels like a fresh start. I don't know what's happened in terms of the change of ownership. Obviously, Mel Morris isn't there anymore and someone else is. Um, but whoever it is, he's doing a good job because he's employed a good manager, built a good team and they're on the up again. So I'm assuming it's all sorted out, but maybe something to look into. So but could, I've, not heard, I've not heard anything on that since like Rooney. Yeah. So could he, they, in my head, I just, like I was sort of dotting the I's and crossing the T's a little bit and um, adding two and two and getting eight. But Macaulay Langstaff, could they afford a player like him? Notts County's just down the road. So break, some breaking news on Twitter today was that Portsmouth, Derby and I think it was Peterborough, if not it's Bolton, have all inquired about the availability of Langstaff for January. There you go then. So we spoke about that, didn't we? We spoke about could he jump up to championship on a previous pod? Would you take him at Swansea where the um, old Notts County gaff has gone to? And we said maybe if he's gone up through all the leagues, League One would be a good uh, stepping stone for them. But um, I just Googled on their ownership. So they were taken over by a local businessman, um, called David Klaus, who's David a lifelong yeah. uh, Derby fan. Seems a little bit similar to Yeovil, albeit at a higher level. Yeah. Um, local businessman taking them over, investing money into it because he's a lifelong fan. Um, looks like he's got plenty of money to to put into it um, and maybe get them 
going back in the right direction, someone a bit passionate maybe than what uh, that Mel Morris was doing with the club. So, yeah, it seems very similar to you over that, Laurie, to me. Yeah, good good comparison drawn. It's just that they just said that, um, I've Googled it as well, and he had an interview sort of reflecting on how close they were to complete catastrophe. Yeovil were exactly the same. And sometimes when a club's been ran into the ground or been ran... Um, discontently for a while it's good to have someone local with that passion and care about the club um, outside of finances to come in and actually put the heart and soul into it and these are people that probably aren't even looking to make money out of football clubs I know it's very hard to do that anyway but these are people that want to see Derby succeed rather than their bank balances um, improve if you like if you could do both I know it's great but there's definitely something to be said um, being owned by a local football man that cares about the club we can vouch for that at the moment Indeed. Um, Peterborough versus Shrewsbury, another fixture. Peterborough, they, I mean, they're in seconds. They're not going under the radar at all, but they've not lost in the league since uh, November now. And we speak about Portsmouth, we speak about Bolton, we speak about Derby every week, but Peterborough just keep chipping away there. Um, they seem to be in the playoffs every single season as well, Peterborough. Um, they always bring decent non-league talent in, grow them, sell those players on. They've got a good business model, um, but maybe this is their year to uh, to go back up to the championship. And then Stevenage versus Barnsley, fifth versus seventh. So another two teams who are probably looking to cement a playoff place in the second half of the season or decent run of form, maybe look at one of those automatics. But um, big fixture for both of those sides as well. League two, some decent games this week, actually. Notts County, uh, who are in sixth place versus Stockport, who are obviously top of the table, but form not been great over the last month or so. So decent fixture there. And then there's a Welsh derby as well. Newport versus Wrexham. Um, which I guess geographically is miles and miles away. But because it's a Welsh derby, apparently there's a lot of policing that goes into that and a massive fixture. That's like Liverpool versus Bristol geographically. <laughs> yeah, but it's like just encased in the same country. So it's massive. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, big game that for, for Wrexham, obviously. Um, I think there was like troubles at the home fixture of Wrexham and the players were like absolutely jubilant. I think it was 2-0 in the reverse fixture. Like Paul Mullen was doing his like fist pumps like he was in the Shrewsbury game. Uh, but just, just on Newport as well, there'll be a good feeling around that club after beating Eastleigh in the FA Cup and that they've got that Man United tie to come. All of those players will be so motivated to be picked in that game that they'll, they'll want to become undroppable. So you could see, you could, like, you could definitely see them. Flip side of that, Seagull, because I've seen this with Yeovil before, where we've been um, drawn to play Man United in like three weeks' time. And there's a lot of players ducking out of challenges, not wanting to get injured, not wanting to get suspended, and maybe coming off it five yeah, weeks. Yeah. Because you've got to think Newport, probably, there's there's probably six, seven, eight players that know their, their first choice anyway, right? So are they going to be flying into challenges in the same way in the league against the likes of Grimsby and Sutton um, and risking that game against Man United in a couple of weeks' time? So interesting one, that. I'm sure I'm sure loads of them will. Um, I remember Yeovil actually had a player called Otis Khan, who's still somewhere in, the, um, in League Two, I think. And he was released from Man United as a youngster and played for Yeovil. And the game before that we played Man United, he got suspended. So, you know, there's history there in stories that can crop up of players missing out if they too, if they do go too gung-ho. So, interesting on that. I'm not sure if it's a motivator or a little bit of a call-off. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's what I was going to say there. It's like double-edged sword, isn't it? It's like that, do you 
put the shift in to get you in the team, but maybe that extra motivation, motivation and, and sort of bit of grit determination gets you the yellow card or red card that sees you suspended or you pick up a little uh, hammy injury and miss your sort of dream game. So I'd be really interested to see how the Newport players react over the next week or so ahead of that tie. Couple of other League Two games, boys. So Mansfield versus Sutton, third versus twenty-third. But Sutton did draw with Barrow last time out, who are obviously up into fourth. But um, yeah, Mansfield obviously still. Uh, I think they've still got the game in hands uh, to go to the top. Um, they've had some uh, abandoned games uh, for weather, and then Barrow versus Crew. Barrow just touched on Barrow. That's fourth versus fifth. So again, two other sides looking to fly up through the table. And um, Laura, I think Barrow have just signed a uh, striker on loan who not had a great time of it in um, in League One, but um, is a goal scorer. Yeah, so I was, that's what I was going to say. Cole Stockton, I mean, what a signing that is. He scored bagsfuls for Morecambe and at one point looked like he was going to go up to the championship and become an even you know higher level of player. So for that feels like a good fit for a Barrow as well. Do you know what I mean? Similar type club, Northern kind of honest, maybe working class club um, like Morecambe and they're going for promotion. So Ooh, just sat outside of that top three at the moment, Barrow. They're not a club that you'd have thought of the start of the season. I mean, I think we've mentioned Pete World's name a few times on the podcast without going into too much depth. And the reason for that is we don't know an awful lot about him other than the fact that he did a good job at Halifax before as well. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if they can trouble the sort of big boys in Stockport, Wrexham and Mansfield down the stretch. But that's certainly a very good signing for League Two. And we know that they've got another striker, um, Barrow, called Emil Aqua who we actually wanted Yobel to sign in the summer for the National League South. But obviously some scouts were a bit further, a bit sharper ahead of us. Um, and he ended up going to League Two. So a couple of good strikers up top for Barrow. And that's normally um, a good thing for League Two. If you've got the best striker in the league, you normally go up. I just yeah, had a look there. I just had a look there. Sorry. Um, he scored 38 goals in his last two seasons, Cole Stockton. Um 29. What, what What's the reason why they've loaned him out? Is he, just, is he not in the team anymore at Burton? I think he had a couple injuries and so has never really got going there. Uh, right, okay. But 38 goals in his last two seasons. He's not, like like you say, he's an absolute bagsman, obviously. Burton just signed the lad from United on loan, haven't they, to play up top. He came off the bench and scored like three minutes into his debut against Derby. He looked like he'd uh, got a point there for them until Hurahan had other ideas. But yeah, may, maybe for ba uh, Burton, they're thinking, you know, not all lost with Cole Stockton. Let's send him back to a league that he's proven in. Barrow in fourth place one point off the automatics maybe he can get the sort of five to ten goals that fires them up and gets him uh gets him going again ready for pre-season for Burton um Laurie before we come on to Yeovil we obviously speak quite a lot about National League South uh we don't really cover National League North too much there but there's an absolutely huge game at the top there Scumfort versus Tamworth which is second versus first uh there's eight points in it but Scunthorpe have a game in hands there. Scunthorpe, a, um, a club fairly similar to, to Yeovil in regards to ex-football league. I think had some financial troubles, now find themselves in sort of second tier of non-league football. But um, big game at the top there. Huge. And fair play to Tamworth because, I mean, I keep a very close eye on that because I've got an, like a start of the season accumulator of league winners, which involves Scunthorpe. And they're the only ones looking like they might let it down at the moment. And every week Tamworth win. And you think about Yeovil in the National League South. We had that 14 game winning run. We haven't lost at home all season. We pretty much win every week. And they've got more points than us, um, Tamworth, who are obviously our sort of opposite number in National League North. Um Obviously, a modest club with a manager that I don't think's had any... I can't remember his name, but I don't think he's had any experience before. This is his first job. 
and uh, beating the likes of Scunthorpe, who I know have had a little bit of trouble, but they're out the other side of it now. They spent a lot of money in the summer for that league, you know, a la Yeovil. And uh, yeah, to be eight points clear at this stage, um, having played a game more, I, I think that's absolutely commendable. But yeah, huge game. And as much as I've just uh, blown smoke up the backs of Tamworth, I really need Scunthorpe to win it. Yeah, I think that eight-point gap, if Scunthorpe can win that and then win their game in hand, suddenly it's down to two points, right? And it's like, we're coming for you. It's one more slip-up and we're back top. Other way, yeah, and, points. Yeah, and I've been speaking to uh, another mate who's got the same bet on. <laughs> we're not gambling addicts at all, but we've been keeping a close eye on Tamworth because we were thinking they might lose some good players now. Because If they're top of the league, they must have a couple of really good um, players that maybe EFL clubs have had a look on. And today, Walsall signed a lad called Jamie Jealous, who I've never seen play, don't know anything about him, but he's a centre mid playing for Tamworth, who are top of the league, and he's gone up two leagues. So you'd imagine he must be one of their best players. So um, for, for everyone other than Tamworth in that league, obviously that's good news. Yeah, indeed. We'll move on to Yeovil then, Laurie. Um, Hemel Hempstead at home. Am I right in saying this was the first game of the uh, the new reign in National League South away from home and we uh, lost 1-0? Yeah, we did. And I don't make excuses for Yeovil losing um, if, if, if they don't deserve them. But that is the worst pitch I've ever seen. There's been some... Art of, we've played on a few artificial pitches this year. That was the worst by a mile. It wasn't even green. It was like white and black. Um, horrible game. One of those games that's either nil-nil or decided by a, a moment of quality or a moment of madness. Um, this one was a moment of madness. Our keeper had a short pass back, tried to blast it up the field, hit their strike on the back and rolled into the net and we lost 1-0. We also had a disallowed goal in that game, which wasn't offside. Um, so anyway, the reverse fixture this weekend and hopefully we'll get some revenge um, on Hemel Hempstead. I think when we played them as well in the first game of the season, that the man of the match that day was a lad called Montel that two weeks earlier was in the Love Island Villa um, and only got kicked out a week before the final. So that at one point, it wasn't looking very good for Yeovil when uh, all those things were lining up. But thankfully, we're 13 points top of the, the league now. We've actually just signed Sam Pearson today, um, a little wide forward that we had on loan last season, who was one of the only bright sparks about last season, the relegation campaign. We had him for about two or three months at the start of the season, scored a couple of goals, um, looked really, really good. And he's just been released from Bristol City's sort of youth setup this week. So we've snapped him up to the end of the season. And having seen him last season, I think he'll fit in perfectly on one of those wide positions, either side of Nubel or Murphy. And, uh, you know, using his pace and his trickery to score yet more goals for an already very, very competent National League side who are only going one way at the moment. 4-0 Yeovil, hopefully, Saturday's my prediction. How is it looking for if they carry on winning? How long till the league's wrapped up, Laura? Is it going to be done sort of March time? Well... The earliest I think we can win it mathematically, in my view, is February the 17th. So if we win every game between now, which we could, we've done this before winning runs. If we win every game between now and February the 17th, we'll be on 80 points. And last season, second place finished on 80 points. Um, so I, I haven't done the actual mathematics, but. I think we, we could be as good as done by then. That probably won't happen. We'll probably drop some points. We've got a couple of tricky fixtures in between that. We've got, still got to go to Maidstone away. Um, but certainly, so, I mean, the fin the league finishes in April. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's probably going to be, you know, probably realistically mid to late March if everything keeps going the way it's going. 
be really interested to see if Yoga, because obviously you then start thinking about breaking points records and things like that. If they get it wrapped up really early, whether we see like a drop off in performances and things like that, or whether there'll just be motivation as champions to go out and start smashing records and things like that. So um, I know it's not completely done yet, but, um, you know, signing of Sam Pearson, the way it's going looks like it will be done. And then it will be, can you then get that momentum and keep that kind of mindset to keep on winning and hopefully break some records? Well, just one more thing. I listened to a um, another podcast in the week that had the club owner, Martin Hellier, on. And he said, we want to get out of National League South as quickly as possible. Then we want to get out of National League as quickly as possible. And then we'll take stock and try and consolidate in the EFL. And if we go up again, fantastic. But we won't be doing it by chucking the book at it and doing everything too quickly. We'll set some foundations and try and work our way up. But the first part of that was get out of National League South and get out of National League as if they're exactly the same. So as a fan, that excites me thinking we're going to go to the National League um, a, thinking we're going to get promoted and B, hopefully throwing enough money at it to sign the players that are going to help us do that. I think we've got a very good sort of nucleus of that now. Maybe only three or four additions would be needed. Um, the only thing with the National League is it's a very, very, very difficult league to get promoted out of. Obviously, only one team goes up automatically, which is a joke. Um, and then another six in the playoffs. So anyway, that's the season ahead. We haven't got promoted at the National League itself yet. Hopefully we'll uh, get another step closer to that this Saturday. Indeed. Right, boys, we'll finish as uh, as we always do with the Pyramid Pod treble. Um, unsuccessful again last week, unfortunately. But like Southampton's run, everything's got to come to an end some point. Let's make it this week. Tomo, have you had time to make your selection? I know you don't like me picking on you first. Uh, yeah. And I think this is the biggest banker in, in the whole of England um, this weekend. And I was really shocked to know that the the odds are four to five. So uh, Gillingham at home against Forest Green. We've all a uh, Gillingham have won three in a row, by the way, and they're just out the play, just outside the playoff places. And Forest Green, well, we all know what happened last week with um, Troy Deeney, and I don't think that would have gone down well in the dressing room. And I can't imagine um, they'll be getting anything but a spank in there. So yeah, Gillingham to win. Gillingham is a small town on the outskirts. Gillingham. Gillingham. Yeah. Gillingham. Sorry. Sorry. Out of the league. <laughs> two. Um, I was going to pick Swansea at four to one at home to Southampton, but they're the 12 30 kickoffs. I'm not going to. Um, and I am going to go. You can probably tell I haven't actually decided yet for Plymouth at home to Cardiff at 11 to eight. Well, I think it's that level of research that really keeps the punters coming back and putting this bet on. Hey, my selection won last week. It was your crap Mill- Millwall Middlesbrough that you mm-hmm. both agreed on um, that let us down. So, yeah, yeah. Apologies to Mickey Carrick. That was uh, that was wrong of me. I am going to go for Derby uh, away at Lincoln, eight to eleven. Uh, I know their odds on, but we need to get a winner on the board. And for all the reasons that we spoke about earlier, uh, fancy them to go up automatically. Fancy them to go on to win the league. I will uh, back them. So slightly shorter odds this week, but a chance to get some uh, profit back. Um, so that's Gillingham at home to Forest Green, Plymouth at home to Cardiff, and Derby away at Lincoln. Ten pounds on with Skybet returns seventy three pounds. Other bookmakers are available. Let's get. Let this be the weekend. That Swansea take the Premier Pod Cup and the Premier Pod Treble yeah. wins. But this this segment should come with a warning that you will probably lose your money. Yeah, and Southampton are likely to win. 
Boys, that's all we got time for. Pleasure as always. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. We'll review all the weekend action. Look ahead to any midweek action and any transfers that are happening in January transfer window. But pleasure as always. Cheers, chaps. Nice one. One, two, three.